Today our Bible reading will be from Romans, the third chapter, verses 24 to 31. That's 1,001 in your pew Bibles. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a pitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is it he, the God of the Jews, the God of the Jews only? Is he not the, also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you are our honored guest. And we hope that we can be an encouragement to you just as you have been uh, by visiting with us. Perspective. The standpoint of which you look at things makes all the difference in the world. The lady goes into the auto parts store and she says, I need one of those 710 parts. And the guy behind the counter said, don't know what 710 parts are. She says, you know, it's one of those things that's on top of your motor, underneath the hood. I need a 710 part. And he says, ma'am, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I can't think of any part on an automobile that's just called a 710 part. She says, it's always been there. And the other day I looked under my hood and it's missing. He says, he hands her a scratch pad. He says, draw me a picture of what you're talking about. And so she starts drawing a, a diameter of about three and a half inches there. And he says, oh, you're talking about some kind of cap. And she says, I don't know. Maybe it is a cap. And then with her standing on one side of the counter and him standing on the other, she begins to write 710. And the guy reading it upside down just dies laughing because 710 upside down in capitalized letters is oil. He says, oh, an oil cap. It's all the difference in the perspective that you take in looking at something. We have looked, at least not directly, but indirectly, we've looked at the cross already from Pilate's standpoint. And talking about the cross, we've looked at it at least indirectly from the Jews' standpoint. We could study it from the angels' standpoint. We could study it from Mary's standpoint. And in a sense, on a Sunday night lesson, we've somewhat done that. Also, tonight, we'll look at it at least to a slight degree from Satan's standpoint. There are many angles that we can view the cross. The movie that's so popular right now views the cross from Jesus' standpoint. But this morning, I'd like for you to do something with me as we study a passage that we even studied this passage last week, but not at all from this standpoint. Let's take and see how God wants us to view the cross from His standpoint. What is it that God wants us to learn about the cross? 
the first thing that becomes very obvious as we read verse 24 and 25, looking from God's standpoint, it becomes obvious that God is saying to us, the cross is the way in which I reveal my righteousness to you. In other words, there was something there that He wanted us to see in the cross. And He wanted us to see His righteousness. And it's only when we see our unrighteousness that we can really appreciate God's righteousness. This morning, turn back with me to Job, the 25th chapter. Hold your finger here in Romans. We'll come right back to it. On page 467 in your pew Bibles, 467. Bildad was coming to set as one of the friends with Job. And it's a wonderful thing when friends come and set together and support each other through difficult times, but Job's friends were not doing a wonderful job at what they should have been doing. They continue to give poor advice, but here Bildad does ask the question, and it's something for all of us to think about, our nature versus the nature of God. He says in Job 25 and verse 4, How then can man be righteous before God? Think about that. Can you answer that without talking about Jesus Christ? If you want to talk about God Almighty, the perfected, uh, the the, the all-powerful, all-knowing God, and then we think about us. You ever made any mistakes? Do you have all power? And you say, I can't compare to God. And so Bildad asks the question, he says, how can we in our unrighteousness stand to be judged before an almighty God? And it's this that he says, or how can... He be pure who is born of woman. And skipping down in 6, he really takes it to a low level of comparison to say, how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. He says, I find ourselves, when we compare ourselves to God, he says, I find myself being more of a maggot and, and my offspring being more of worms than being able to stand before the presence of God. The cross should change the way we view that. God was wanting us to see in the cross not only His righteousness, but how that act of righteousness was to touch us. I want us to read a passage now over to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. You have probably heard or read this passage many times. I want you to listen to where God comes into play in all of this story of the crucifixion. We're going to read just verse the 53rd chapter, verse 4. Talking about Jesus suffering on the cross, He says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, notice this phrase, smitten by us. That's not what it says. Smitten by the Jews. No. Smitten by the Roman soldiers. No. Of all things, this is how God wants us to view the cross. Smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And on it reads. God, what are you showing us in the cross? He says, I want you to see the righteousness of me. When you see the cross, you see how righteous I am. As a matter of fact, when we go back to our text in Romans, the third chapter, and we notice in verse 24, and especially going into 25, I want you to note, in 23, it's talking about Jesus being the one that justifies us and, and the one that redeems us, and going into 25, the one that serves as our propitiation. But I want you to notice this words here where it talks about what the cross is in the sight of God. Verse 25, whom God set 
forth. Notice that phrase. God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. What's the point? God says, I'm the one that placed Jesus on that cross. I made it as an exhibit. That's what the word set forth means, as an exhibit. You know, recently we had missionaries to come in and speak on various topics, and I'm reminded of the missionary and the one that works in the mission field uh, with Eastern European missions. And you remember just outside the door there to the right, he set up an exhibit. God says, I set Christ on the cross as an exhibit. In other words, God says, I'm the one that placed Him on the cross for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why did you set Christ as an exhibit before the world? What are exhibits to do? They're to tell us things. They are to inform us things. He said, I set Him on the cross. Well, what were you trying to tell us? The very next phrase that tells us what He was showing says, to demonstrate His righteousness. Now, we're familiar with what demonstrate means, right? I wonder how many of you were in 4-H, or maybe you're in 4-H now. Uh, I remember growing up being in 4-H, and uh, every year, one month, we would have prepared speeches. And so we would get up before our class, and we would give a prepared speech. And they would tell us to make it like three to five minutes or five to seven minutes. But then the next month, they would say, now class, next month you're going to do another speech, but this is a demonstration speech. We want you to come in next month and actually show us how to do something. Well, I remember uh, as one year, my mother, she catered. And so uh, I thought, man, what can I demonstrate? And... And I asked mom, I said, mom, what can I demonstrate? And kind of jokingly, she says, you can demonstrate some of your fancy folds of how to fold cloth napkins. And I was like, hey, I could. So I said, let me borrow 30-something napkins. And, uh, and so I went to class in, into the 4-H, and, and I took and I gave everybody in the class a cloth napkin, and, uh, and we proceeded to fold this real fancy flower from a cloth napkin, and, and it was so neat. Well, what was happening there? Everyone was learning from a demonstration that I was giving something that in reality wasn't very significant. God demonstrated something of great significance. His righteousness is awesome. And He says, I want to demonstrate this righteousness to you so that you can see it, you can comprehend it. And in kind of a symbolic sense, you can put your hands on it. You can get a grip on this. What is it, Lord? He says, I want you to see my righteousness as you look at the cross because I've given Christ on the cross as a demonstration of my righteousness. Flip over just a few pages. Let's go over to Romans, the fifth chapter. In Romans, the fifth chapter, look down at verse 8 and let's see what else is demonstrated by God. Notice these are demonstrations by God. Let's look at verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do we learn the most about the love of God? We see the cross and that tells us, that shows us the most about the love of God. 
How do we know the most about the righteousness of God? We see the cross, and it tells us the most about the righteousness of God. Now, if I can pull just a little bit from last week's lesson. Last week, we looked at this passage in Romans 3 and also 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and we kind of laid them down side by side to see what Christ did to reconcile us to God. Now, today we're looking to say, what does this tell us about God? But I want you to think about this for just a moment as we pull from some points from last week. If God is a righteous God, that means He has to punish evil. He has to. He doesn't have a choice. And so therefore, we find ourselves sinners. And so God would have to say, you are wrong, you are sinful, you must be condemned. And that's why here in Romans, the third chapter, when it talks about God showing or demonstrating His righteousness, He speaks of Jesus being the one given to be the justifier, to be the redeemer, to be the one to serve as the propitiation. Why? Because God is a righteous God. Let's step on my toes a little bit and then we'll move to your toes a little bit. How many of us as parents have ever seen our children do something wrong right after we had just told them not to do it and we chose to turn our head because we didn't want to deal with that confrontation at the moment? You ever done that? Now listen, I'm telling you, you do not have the TV on before your homework's done. You walk by the table, you see the homework sheet's not filled out, you see the TV's on and you act like you didn't see it all. You know what? You and I are sinners. God isn't. God is righteous. He has to punish wickedness. He doesn't have a choice. If He did otherwise, He would not be a righteous God. God loved us so much, He says, I want to create a scheme of redemption. I want to offer a way for mankind, even in their sins, to be redeemed, justified, to have a propitiation between me and them to appease the wrath of this sin. That is why the cross reveals the righteousness of God. Let's face it, if God was more like us than what He is, He might not have said His Son and he might have just chosen to look the other way. But then that great and final day of justification would have come, and we would have found out that we were lost with no hope. So what a wonderful thing we learned from the cross. Let's touch on three other things, and we have to touch on these very, very quickly. We're back in Romans, the third chapter now, and I want you to note in verse 27, where is boasting then? Because you and I cannot boast about anything, about the scheme of redemption, about Jesus Christ being given on the cross. The cross exalts the grace of God. Friends, before you and I were even born, Jesus came to die on this earth. None of us can say, I've merited it, I've earned it, I've deserved it, I've formulated this, I've had something to do with the aspect of salvation. No, the only thing we did is we had something to do with Jesus being crucified because He died on the cross so that we can have the redemption of sins. And that's why in verse 27, Paul's reminding them, who can boast about this? Who can say, oh, I deserve to be saved because I'm just such a perfect individual. No one can boast of their salvation. In other words, salvation is not merited. No one lives such a righteous life that they deserve to be saved. 
The only way we can be saved is by the grace of God. Now, Ephesians, the second chapter. Let's read this very quickly, and we just have to read it and move on. Ephesians, the, t- the, the second chapter. Let's begin reading at verse 4. Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Notice this phrase. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith not of yourselves it is the gift that's an important word it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast. There's our word boasting again. No one has the right to boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace is a gift that is offered to every individual. There's nothing you and I did to deserve the fact that that grace should be offered. Now the question is, will we respond to that gift? You see, the cross reveals Christ's grace. But what you and I do when that grace is offered tells the response that we will have. If you go back to Romans, the third chapter, I want you to note how our response is tied into all of this. Notice the faith. Faith is our responsibility. Faith is to be our response to the cross. Notice this in verse 25. He says, as a propitiation by His blood through faith. In other words, it's offered by the blood of Jesus because of the righteousness of God, but we have to respond to it through faith. Notice verse 26. At the very end, he's talking about his righteousness again and Christ being just or God being just and the justifier, but notice this, of one who has faith. In other words, God, you're going to offer us justification. Who receives this justification? Those who receive it through faith. Notice it again as we read in 27, he said... No, but by the law of faith. And notice again in 28 where he speaks of justification. In the middle of the verse, he said justified by faith. You see the point? All through here, we can study this this same passage. In other words, I was about to say we could do this, and the truth is we've done two out of three of these. We could study this same text three weeks in a row and never study the same points. Last week, we studied this text to study to say what has Christ done to reconcile us. This week we're studying to say what has God done. In other words, what is His viewpoint of the cross to reconcile us. Now we could come back next week and study this very same text to say what's our response to this. What should we do? Because every time it talks about what Christ does, it talks about what God does, and it talks about what we ought to do through faith. Every verse a powerful passage to show us a a complex view of the cross from many standpoints. Notice this, as we read verse 29 and 30, we also see God's consistency. The cross reveals God's consistency. You see, here the question was, did Gentiles have to be circumcised to become more like Jews in order to be saved? And he says in verse 30, since there is... One God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. What's the point? 
Under the new covenant, if a Jew is going to be saved, they have to come to Jesus. Bottom line, have faith in Christ. And you know what? If a Gentile is going to be saved, they have to come to the same Jesus. In other words, God is saying, if you look at the cross, you're going to see my consistency. I'm one God, and I've offered one scheme of redemption. And one race of people or one nation of people don't go through one Savior, and another race of people go through another Savior. One don't follow one scheme of redemption, and another follow another scheme of redemption. God is a consistent God. Friends, I want you to see something this morning as we move a little bit closer to the invitation. There may be someone here this morning that's saying, you know, I've seen how Christians live and I see how, how firm and committed they are in the faith and I just don't know if I can do that. I want to tell you something. You can do it and you have to start at the same place everybody starts. And that's with one God and Jesus as your one Savior. That's the starting place. And that's not to belittle it. That's a huge place to start. But from there we grow in our faith, maturing year after year. But the important thing is that we realize to start and to start at the same place. But finally, we look at this as we go to verse 31. And that is, by God's righteousness, we learn this about the cross. And that is that it reveals God's law. Was the grace of God, was it going to nullify a law? Was our faith in God going to nullify a law? He gives strongest statements for no when he says in verse 31 certainly not on the contrary we establish the law in other words we don't have time right now Romans the seventh chapter talks about the law of God that should live in the mind of man and the law of sin that moves in the carnal fleshly nature of man and friends the grace of God does not nullify the fact that we still need to have the ways of God in our mind and that we need to be feeding upon that, and we need to be dwelling within the law of God. And so this morning, we've seen some aspects of the cross from God's standpoint. We looked last week at the aspects of the cross from Christ's standpoint. As we sing this song of encouragement in just a moment, I want you to think about it from your standpoint. God is a righteous God. And if God says, I can save you, you can take it to the bank. God can save you. If He says, I can forgive you and I can create in you a new creature, creation, He can create in us as a new creature. Friends, it comes down to this. How I view the cross is up to me. Your family can't make that decision for you. A church can't make that decision for you. Symbolically speaking, every one of us are sitting at the foot of the cross and we're making our statement of how we view the cross. We're either saying the righteousness of God isn't significant to me and the sacrifice of Jesus is meaningless to me or we're saying... He gave it all. It's worth my all. What will your answer be? If you know what that answer is now, or if you need to study more, we'd love to get with you and encourage you and study with you in any way we can. 
Our goal is for all of us to spend an eternity with God together. Let's not leave anybody out. If you need to be baptized in Christ this morning or if you need to return, repent of sins and confess sins and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.